you may or may not be able to come out with a, a net zero target immediately, but I think the market is rewarding those who are being really, really thoughtful. Data is our friend in this world and embracing technology to measure these indicators is really important. This is just one element of a broader journey and it, it's not something that can be done in isolation. Welcome to the Exchange Feed podcast series. I'm your host, Brooke Suman, Head of Company Services based in Calgary. And we have a very relevant and topical discussion planned today titled Zero Commitments. No, this is not about relationship advice during COVID, but more importantly, about public companies making a commitment to net zero greenhouse gas emissions. It's now widely recognized and clear that to avoid the worst climate impacts, GHG emissions need to reach net zero globally by mid-century. To tell us all about how the world intends on getting there and what commitments some Canadian companies have made, we have with us today Myla Craig, founder and president of Milani Inc., an independent ESG advisory firm based in Montreal. Rona Del Ferrari, vice president, sustainability and engagement at Synovus Energy. And Tim Favory, vice president, sustainability and shared value at Maple Leaf Foods. Welcome to you all and thank you for joining us today. I want to jump right in by setting the scene. Uh, maybe Myla, can you help us set the scene by telling us what exactly net zero emissions are and how did this whole thing come about? Thank you, Burke. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, net zero. Well, basically, it refers to an overall balance between carbon emissions produced and carbon emissions taken out of the atmosphere. Um, and where does it come from? I mean, part of the terminology in the marketplace, it can often be referred to as carbon neutrality as well, which is kind of a state where human activities result in, in basically no net effect on, on a climatic system that we live in. Basically, um, the, there's a group called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change or the IPCC that's basically warned that global warming should not exceed one, one and a half degrees Celsius for us to avoid some of the tragic impacts of climate change. And they've noted that to achieve this, that carbon emissions, as you mentioned, must decrease by 50% by 2030, um, and then drop to quote unquote net zero by 2050 or carbon neutrality. And that's really the aim of what most people now know as the Paris Agreement, which is, um, an, or, which is an effort to get a global response to keep these global temperatures from rising uh, more than one and a half or to two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. All efforts right now are, if possible, to bring it back down to the one and a half to, uh, degrees. We have basically 10 years to prevent some irreversible damage from climate change. And that's the point where the financial system has really started to notice. And what that's doing is it's causing the whole financial system. So banks, insurance companies, central banks, credit rating agencies, they're all starting to recognize that climate change um, is perhaps not being taken into consideration by financial institutions. And that that needs to happen and if it doesn't, that we may end up with huge disruptions to the financial infrastructure and the viability of our global financial systems. And that's really why we're starting to see so many um, investors and the financial community, but also governments and now companies 
um, really starting to focus more and more on, on what it means to achieve this a, a, a net zero future um, by 2050. We're seeing a number of commitments um, happening at this point I, I, on a year over year basis. Supposedly we have um, a double the number of local governments and businesses that are making these types of commitments. Um, Canada is one of 200 countries that has uh, signed the Paris Agreement. And, um, you know, Canada has uh, recently launched the, the Bill C-12, which mm -hmm. is Canada's Net Zero Emissions Accountability Act, which is trying to set those targets for Canada. Um, and obviously, is issuers have a big role to play in that. Right, right. Thank you. Thank you for that, Myla. And you talked about companies here. So let's move on to maybe um, speaking about, you know, the journey of a company and how they go about deciding on net zero. I mean, being carbon neutral for companies is obviously seen as good corporate and social responsibility. Um, Tim and Rona, I know you're in two very different industries. So I would love to get your perspectives on what actually prompted you to pledge this. From Maple Foods' perspective, um, this is part of a social purpose that we launched back in 2017. When a company uh, defines a social purpose for themselves, they look deep inside uh, the company and define why they exist. Why? So we define why we exist, um, our place in society, uh, our place in the supply chain. And we also looked at what society needs um, uh, and what big social issues are at play. Being at the heart of the food system, I don't think anyone would disagree, but you know, you could put our food system at the hub or the nexus of most global societal issues today. Uh, nutrition and health, climate change, uh, a water scarcity, land use, animal welfare, you name it. And because Maple Leaf is a company that has scale and as uh, farm to fork as a, as, as, a, as a protein producer, we felt that we had an obligation to make a difference uh, uh, for the food system. Um, by setting our purpose as well, we, we came up with a vision and that vision was to be the most sustainable protein company on earth. So uh, carbon neutrality was something um, that we had in our sights. Um, we we it feels that it we feel that it 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 helps us move towards our vision and our purpose, and um, it, what makes us a little bit different is that you know many of the goals that we're seeing by other big global corporates right now are to become net zero by 2050 or by 2040. Um, we became carbon neutral or net zero uh, uh, just over a year ago, and uh, that was the culmination of about an 18-month carbon management strategy uh, and actions to take to, to achieve that. So um, it's not an easy thing, but certainly, certainly there were many aspects of corporate strategy tied up to that, but as well, we felt that it was right for us, uh, for our purpose, uh, and, and for us to um, show leadership uh, in this space. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, it sounds like given uh, your industry and um, you know your your past with I guess your ESG strategy, um, they kind of fit hand in hand. Uh, Rona, mm -hmm. you know you're in a very different industry, um, energy. Can you talk about uh, your strategy and how you came about pledging this? I really like Burke that you called it a journey, and I have to say I'm a bit envious of Tim for 
for having for his company having achieved it already. We we are at a different place in our journey, and there's no secret that there's immense pressure on the oil and gas industry to do more to address climate change, and especially companies like Synovus who are are heavily uh, involved in the Canadian oil sands, and so. It's, we feel that pressure, but it's not just because of that pressure that we uh, have our aspiration for net zero by 2050. You know, we're a huge Canadian company and Canada has made that, that goal. They've signed on to Paris and it's, it's up to us to do our part in helping our country achieve that as well. And so most definitely we hear investors talking and asking us about it a lot more, I would say, over the past two years even, um, an immense amount more questions and discussions about our climate plan and our commitments and our targets now than we've ever seen in the past. Um, it's also important to our staff. So, you know, the question is, why did we do this? We have staff of all ages, and I would say especially those that are earlier on in their career. They want to be with this industry and with this company for many decades still to come. So it's really important to them to know that we have a long-term vision when it comes to what we're going to do uh, to, to do our part for climate change. And so I would say that there are, there are many different stakeholders that had involvement in our decision to do this. Um, it's also important that when I talk about a journey... This isn't something that we just decided one day, oh, let's come up with a net zero ambition. This is something that's been part of our culture at our company for many years. Um, you know, right from when we launched Synovus in 2009, the environment, social and governance responsibilities were core to what we did, our commitments to the environment, our commitments to our communities, our commitments to looking out for each other. And so I really do feel, that's why I love that you said journey, because I really do feel that this is, this is just one element of a broader journey, and it, it's not something that can be done in isolation. You know, it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned focusing on your stakeholders and specifically your employees. I was just looking at a survey um, a few weeks ago uh, from the Conference Board of Canada, and they had surveyed millennials. And I think more than 80% of millennials that they surveyed right now would actually rather work for a company that's responsible in terms of ESG. And they would take that over returns and they would actually take a pay cut to work for a company. So, I mean, the fact that you're uh, focusing on all your stakeholders, but your employees as well, um, you know, there's quantitative evidence to back that too. Um, just um, going on the journey here, um, let's talk a bit more about the details on what approach was taken to set the goals, who in your organization was involved? Um, you know, how are these targets set? What assumptions and factors did you consider? And this is open for all three of you. You know, it's a long process, and and I, you know, journey is a fantastic descriptor. Uh, it, it, setting goals like this, a net zero goal or a science based target like we have, is actually a journey within a journey. I think, uh, as well. Um, you talk about culture, uh, tone from the top is super important. We have a, a passionate, uh, dedicated CEO that, that wants to make a difference with our brands and our, and our company for the food system. And um, uh, rolling out our purpose, um, we did a number of ideation sessions across uh, the company. And uh, by doing this, we were getting input uh, from employees from from the uh, um, the plant floor all the way up to the you know the corporate uh, accounting department and and senior leaders alike, 
to, to, to ask them how they were going to operationalize a purpose like Raise the Good in Food, uh, how they were going to contribute to being the most sustainable protein company on earth. And we took that, uh, all those insights uh, to help formulate a group our blueprint or our plan of, 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 um, of our purpose. What was really interesting when we had these conversations, but the, the common response back was, um, well, if we wanna be the most sustainable protein company on earth, how come our environmental goals are only set for 50%? And, you know, the team <laughs> around the table was like, they're, wow, they're, great, great question, great, great comment, let's take that away. And when we presented it back, to our the development committee of the purpose, uh, that's what kind of catalyzed movement towards uh, net zero. Um, and so, in reality, it was kind of a top down and a bottom up approach, um, listening to our employees. Right, right. Thanks for that. And Rona, can you share some details on you know how how your approach was set? Yeah, it's interesting because we do. Tim and I come from very different industries, but I think we took a similar approach to this. So we started with refreshing our ESG materiality assessment to determine exactly what our focus areas should be. So that means what's most significant when it comes to sustainability, what, what could add the most value to our company. And we reached out internally, but also, you know, we, we worked with external consultants like Myla's group. And, and we, we really got a lot of feedback on that. And we, what we came up with there is that our, you know, we have four focus areas. They're GHG emissions and climate, land and wildlife, indigenous engagement, engagement and water stewardship. And of those, you know, what you always hear about for the oil and gas is the focus on GHG emissions. But I do want to, you know, I really always want to point it out that this, this can't only be about GHG emissions when you're doing this type of work. You have to take a holistic view when it comes to your ESG performance. And so once we had that materiality assessment and we had our four focus areas lined up, we undertook an extremely rigorous process to determine what the targets should be for each of those focus areas. And this took us a long time. This took us months. And, you know, we were a bit worried because we publicly disclosed our focus areas first and we thought, oh, are people going to be impatient with us, you know, as we're, as we're working through the details and what the targets for each of them should be? But what we actually found is that we received a lot of kudos, a lot of credit uh, from the investment community and from others that they truly believed that taking that time was essential. Because, a, uh, you know, a lot of times people rush to come up with targets that haven't been fully baked. And what we did is we really figured out, okay, where is our company going? Because especially in the oil sands, we have reserves that are long life reserves. Our operations are going to be there for decades to come. And so we need to be thinking well into the future, not with uh, our business plan and what we plan to produce and the money that we plan to make, but also with our ESG uh, performance. And so it was really important to us that we made sure that our ESG targets were well aligned with our business plan and the company's long-term strategy. And I think because we did that, um, that's why there was buy-in from our staff. That's where there was um, recognition from the external world. And, and that's why I think that we actually have a better plan to achieve these. I love the collaboration and the staged approach um, that, that, that you did to, to come up with the goals. Um, from both of you, I'm getting culture, culture, culture. Um, it's coming from 
culture. Uh, it's ingrained within. Uh, Myla, I know you've done a lot of work on this. Uh, um, and can you maybe talk about the approaches that you've helped companies take? I know you work with several companies in terms of their um, ESG disclosure. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on these approaches. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right. Culture culture is a big part of it. But um, and I think, you know, Tim and, and Rona have both given great examples of, of their particular journeys. And I think one of the first comments I would like to make is, you know, not all not all organizations get to net zero quickly. Um, you know, this this is hard. <laughs> this is hard work for many organizations. Um, and and for us, we start at the basics. Uh, to be quite frank, you know, net zero is is often the outcome of many, many, many months of work, if not longer. Um, and it, it comes back to what Rona said, you know, we typically start with the basics of what are those financially material issues. And it's pretty rare where climate change isn't one of a list of, say, you know, five to eight financially material issues. Um, and then we really kind of move towards the using the, the TCFD framework or the Task Force for Climate Related Financial Disclosures. And the reason we do is because we work very closely with the investor community and that's what the investor community is telling us they want. Um, and that, you know, it, it, it's really a, a framework that provides your financial stakeholders with some of these insights about how you as an organization are thinking about climate change. And one of the steps we always like to tell our clients is, you know, even if you're just starting on this journey, the first step is often to acknowledge that climate change is a systemic issue and that you actually see that um, because it, it's quite remarkable the number of companies that haven't made that even that kind of statement to their uh, financial stakeholders. Um, and then from there, you know, we kind of we kind of go through a process of of where are you now? What can you talk to now? Because the TCFD breaks it down into uh, your governance. So how are you managing it from a governance standpoint? Your uh, strategy, risk management, and then gets to metrics and targets. And you kind of have to build from the beginning down. Um, so, you know, we often say, like, what can you speak about now? Can you talk about the governance? And sort of a next step for us is, is exactly what Rona spoke about, is then taking that in-house and really starting to run some different scenarios. Um, you know, there's different ones that are available in the marketplace. I think the most commonly used right now is the IEA. Um, and you take that in to understand what are some of these physical or, or transitional risks that might impact our business. You may or may not be able to come out with a, a, um, a net zero target immediately, but I think the market is rewarding those who are being really, really thoughtful about it um, as they go through that process. And, and there's ways to indicate to the market that you are being thoughtful about it without necessarily getting to that, you know, making the commitment right up front if you're not comfortable yet. Right. And I just want to add to what Myla was just saying. I think it's important because you'll notice that we have targets for our four focus areas that are shorter term, but our net zero is really, it's called an ambition. And it's exactly for that reason is at our company and in our industry, we're not sure how we're going to achieve that yet. And so there was a lot of discomfort calling it a target, especially in a company full of engineers who, who want to be very precise. And so I think we landed on ambition for the net zero because we know we're going to have to collaborate with others and come up with these solutions because 
there's nothing for our industry currently that that is economic that will will help us get to net zero right away. And so there's a lot of work to do. Thus the ambition. Rona, how, how do you how do you keep track of that progress? So you set the you set the goal. Um, how, how do you like what what kind of plan do you have in place to keep track of the progress? It's important to track it internally and then report on that progress externally. And so internally, we we have um, regular meetings, obviously, with our board. And there doesn't ever pass a board meeting where we haven't talked about our ESG performance and our progress. And so I think that's really important. We also have a sustainability advisory council at the company that we launched a couple of years ago now. And and part of the role of that group, and it's Across, uh, it's across all of our teams. There's representation from across multiple teams on it, and and part of that group's responsibility is to also track uh, and make sure that their teams are doing what they need to do to make sure we're we're hitting or we're on track for our targets. Now, again, our targets are new, and so this is all still new to us. But this is this is our plan. And then for external, you know, as part of our quarterly financial reporting, we always include in our news release a section that has. Um, some of the key highlights or milestones that we may have worked on in that in that quarter for ESG performance. And then there's the annual ESG report where we plan to to track, really do more of a progress tracking of our targets. And then our corporate scorecard. And that's one that influences directly when it comes to not just executive pay, but also the um, compensation for all employees across our company. And there is an envir- environmental and safety section on that scorecard. So, so it matters. It matters to our employees, and it matters to our stakeholders how we're doing with our ESG targets. Wow. So, I mean, even compensation to a certain extent is linked to some of these ESG targets, which is which is great to hear, and great to hear that it's at the board level at every single board meeting as well. Uh, Tim, I, I know your company's already gotten there, but is, <laughs> did did you track it in a similar way? Yeah, very, very similar. You know, what uh, um, isn't measured doesn't get managed, uh, particularly with our greenhouse gas targets. Um, we're scorecarded. I have to submit performance uh, against our targets on a monthly basis right to our COO. Um, we've got systems and processes in place. We're tracking energy uh, usage uh, through a centralized system from all our operations. Um, uh, data, uh, data is our friend in this world, uh, and embracing technology to to measure um, these indicators is really important. Um, some of the challenge is that uh, you know you can you can have too much data, so you need to slice it and and analyze it as best you can to make it meaningful. But uh, we seem to be on the right track. It's another journey within a journey uh, to get to a point where you have measurable KPIs on your on your progress. Right. Um, I want to take it back and just talk to stakeholders for a little bit before we get some parting ad- advice from all of you. Uh, and I want to ask, how did all your stakeholders react when you announced these net zero commitments? Um, I know, Roni, you talked about employee loyalty. Have you noticed that maybe that's increased? Um, was there, I know we talked about institutional pressure. Um, you know, what do they, what, what do your inter- institutions think about that? For us, it was interesting because when we released our our targets um, at the beginning of this year, we started, we headed out on an investor roadshow, including in Europe. And we were all ready to answer a whole bunch of questions about our targets and, 
you know, how we're going to be developing the plan to achieve them. And what we actually found is that investors saw the targets, they received them well, and it was kind of like, okay, you guys have this covered. And they started asking us about other elements of our business. And so while we thought that it would actually lead to um, more questions, it actually, I think, really reassured them that we had this under control. And so, so that was interesting and, and, and great, you know, that they, they had the confidence in us. And what I would say for the reaction from uh, the employees, you know what, Our, the sustainability group became the hottest group that everyone wanted to, to, to work in. Or, or everybody, every employee wanted to know, how, could, how can I in my role do my part to help this company achieve this? Because they were really proud of it. Awesome. That's so good to hear. Tim? Yeah, I'll agree. Um, you know, for us, uh, some key stakeholders of ours are obviously our customers that we make uh, food products for. Um, you know, the big Canadian retailers and food service uh, companies. Um, they really, really uh, um, responded well to our announcement. And, you know, we've been engaging with them on and off ever since about their own journeys, which is, I think, where you want to be if you're a supplier to, to, to these organizations. Um, employees reacted tremendously as well. Um, and I, I, I can honestly say it was similar reaction from investors um, as Rona described. And, and um, I think we also, over the last number of years, have had some big announcements like our pivots to plant protein. So when uh, investor heard, uh, investors heard our announcement, uh, it was like, well, okay, you know, we kind of expect that from Maple Leaf. So let's now talk about plant protein in the business. <laughs> and and Myla, I know, you know, you talked to several investors uh, at your, in your capacity. Um, have they reacted? How, how have they reacted to, to these commitments? Very positively. And I think, you know, it's always first first to market gets the, the best impressions. And I think in both of these cases, uh, it's it's exactly that. I think the investor community is very pleased to see the movement. So it's not just about setting the goal. It's it's increasingly, I think, will be those questions of, well, how are you going to get there? Um, and I think those questions will just increase as we go along. Right, right. Coming back to kind of having that ingrained in your culture and having that mm -hmm. narrative uh, available for investors. Um, we're almost at our at the end of our podcast. Uh, do you have any final advice for companies that are thinking net zero commitments? Well, um, companies, if they're looking to embrace these, these commitments, really need to start with an inventory. You really need to understand uh, where emissions um, uh, originate in your company and what you can control directly and what you can influence. W once you have that inventory, once you defined where your scope one, two, and, and three emissions exist, then uh, you can look at, 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 at a reduction plan and, and setting targets. But the first step is the, is the inventory in itself. Yeah, and I would say that that's really important. And I think you need to really work from the beginning on the buy-in. This is not something that you can force a company to do just because it's seen as a trend. You, this, is, this is part of business resilience, and that's truly how we look at it. And so you really need to show everyone from your board all the way down to your frontline worker what value doing taking this type of action will have for, your, for the long-term resilience of your company. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Rona. The keeping keeping all your critical and key decision makers informed 
um, uh, of your progress while the strategy and the, and, the, and the goals are being developed is really important. So there's not any surprises when it comes down to, you know, uh, um, you going pr to present them. Perfect. And it can be daunting. So remember, you don't have to do it alone. Collaboration yeah. is key when it comes to this. Exactly. And, and maybe just uh, maybe my last comment would be, you know, just you could start and, and you take the first steps and you'll learn along the way and uh, collaborate, communicate. Um, and uh, it's a journey. I think that's the biggest thing to remember. And I think we've heard from today that, you know, taking that stage approach, um, you know, stakeholders like that. Investors enjoy that. So great advice from all of you. Um, I just want to say thank you to Myla, Rona and Tim for uh, being here with us today.